well, let's open in a word of prayer and then get cracking on this. We're going to do chapter 6 this evening. Lord, thanks for your word. And thanks for your meaning in your word. Help us to define it, learn it, and gain from it this evening. We thank you for it. Thank you that you have control over all things, even though it looks like in so many ways you don't have any control. We know that that's not true. Mm -hmm. But uh, thank you for this time. And thank you for those gathered here this evening. In Christ's name, amen. Mm -hmm. Yep, David said, sorry time got away from me. Got something on over. Got something on over. But we'll be on my way shortly. <laughs> okay. Oh, oven, maybe. Oh. <laughs> okay. So let's let's look at chapter six. I want to yeah. read. Uh, there's only seventeen verses in this chapter, so I'd kind of like to read all of them. Okay. Yeah. Pull it up on my app here. Okay. So I'm reading from the New King James Version. And of course, the I refers to John. Now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a white horse. He who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, referring back to the Lamb, I heard the second living creature saying, Come and see. Another horse, fiery red, went out. And it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth and that people should kill one another. And there was given to him a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature saying, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a black horse. And he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And the name of him who sat on it was Death. And Hades followed with him. And power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord? holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. I looked when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood. And the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. 
and the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? I think that's a fascinating question, statement and question they ask at the end. So Revelation 6, 1 through 12, the first six seals. Um, I made this chart a while ago, and, and, and I like it because I'm a visual person, so I learned that way. I, I, I keep things in my head better. So we're going to be going through, actually, this is the events of the middle. This is not what I wanted to do, sorry. This is the, this is the trumpets, and that comes later. So we'll, my mistake, we'll go past, we'll come back to this, but I had a different one for the seals, but that's okay. So we'll just talk about it. So what's interesting here is it is the Lamb who opens every one of these seals. He is directing the action, right from the get-go. And um, I know that there are people who believe that, for instance, you know, the first sort of judgments are man's wrath against man, Satan's wrath against man, but the reality here is that God directs all of it. And it's really interesting, because if you look at that situation with David in the Old Testament, where Satan stood up, and I forget the actual verse and chapter, it's in First or Second Samuel, and then First and Second Chronicles, and has the uh, parallel passage where Satan motivates David okay. to number, to number, to number everybody. And uh, Joab is like, um, "You sure you want to do this? That's probably not a good thing." And David insists on, it. and clearly identifies Satan as being the, the perpetrator, the, the instigator, the tempter. But then in the parallel passage, it's God. So ultimately, <clears throat> what it's teaching us, I think, is the same thing it's teaching us here. It doesn't matter if it's man's wrath against man or Satan's wrath against Satan. Ultimately, God is directing all of the traffic, if you will. Yeah, so First Chronicles 21. First Chronicles 21, thank mm -hmm. you. And then the second... Other ones in Samuel. So the Lamb starts and controls things. That's what I find so fascinating. Nothing happens unless He determines it. So He opens the seals, and then one of the living creatures, with voice like thunder, come and see. And He's obviously talking to John and to see what's going to happen. And so John, of course, obediently, I looked, and then I, this is what I saw. He sees a white horse. So everything that happens from Revelation 6 onward is due to the direction and authority of the Lamb. Everything. So the first seal is open. The living creature says, come and see. Out comes the rider on the white horse. And it's interesting, many... There have been many interpretations for this rider on the white horse. I think the, the most logical one is that it is the Antichrist. Some people think it's Jesus himself. Others think it's a Roman emperor because it's in the past, so therefore it's already come and gone. But I think this is all future, and I think, uh, I think there's good reason for thinking that. So the horse, though, represents the war machine in John's day. 
And to me, it's really interesting because John here, and that's one of the reasons stated. Well, if John's seeing the future, why is he seeing things like horses and bows and arrows? Well, I'm not sure what he saw. Um, did he see visions that God gave of what the future would be like in a way that John could understand them? Yeah, yeah. Probably. But he also probably saw some things that he could not explain and so simply described them as this, that, or this beast because he had no way of connecting it to anything in his own life that made sense to him. But the horse, as far as John was concerned, represented war, so he understood this war machine is coming and it is a white horse with a rider. And so what does that represent? Well, the horse, obviously, I think, symbolizing victory. It's white, so it symbolizes a type of victory. Mm. And, um, <clears throat> come on, don't fail me now. So, interestingly enough, though, the text says, he who sat on it had a bow and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. So what's interesting here, the, the, the horse gives the impression of purity because it's white. It doesn't mean that it's actually pure since looks can be deceiving. And I think that's what's going to be fascinating for the world when the Antichrist shows up and comes onto the scene. Um, there are going to be, much of the world is going to fall in love with him. They're, they're going to see him as this charismatic leader. Uh, certainly the signs and wonders that he'll be able to perform will add to that. And so people will just, he'll be like the consummate Pied Piper. But will he be pure? He'll give the impression of being righteous, but he won't be righteous. He is going out to conquer and to conquer some more. So the rider on the horse carries a bow, which symbolizes the threat of war, but notice in the text there's no mention of any arrows. So his conquering, more likely than not, will be done politically. And if we look around the landscape right now, which is fine, I'm just saying as an example, I don't like doing this, but you know, there's a number of leaders in the political realm right now who are flexing their muscles. And I'm not saying that they're the Antichrist, not at all. I'm simply saying this is the way things work in the political field, as you know. Emmanuel Macron is all of a sudden now getting involved in the Abrahamic Accord between the Muslims and the Jews and all this stuff is going on in the Middle East. Well, he ultimately wants to conquer. He wants to, I think, make a name for himself. And so we'll see what happens there. But it's, it's interesting that that's happening. And then you've got... Erdogan, or however you say his name, the president of Turkey meeting with Mohammed bin Salman of the Saudi Arabia, and you know, there's this alliance possibly in the works. There's just so much political maneuvering in the world right now <clears throat> that it's difficult to say what's happening really, but we do know that there's political motivation on the parts of these individuals who are in the limelight. And I think we're going to see this times 100 with the Antichrist whenever he comes along. Well, if so. you're willing to mention names, I'll mention one that I find curious. Yes. Yeah. Zeminsky. 
Yeah. Oh, Zelensky from Ukraine. Zelensky, is it? Yeah. Zelensky yeah. from Ukraine. I think they're all involved. And I think like it's a, just a real big. Well, the interesting thing is he's Jewish. He says yes. he's Jewish. Is he Jewish? Yeah. <clears throat> uh, allegedly. I keep allegedly, hearing, you're right. I keep right. hearing that he's Jewish. <coughs> uh, whether or not he's, you know, like practicing. Right, right. Yeah. Oh, no. yeah. it's, a, it's a label for him right yeah. now. Yeah, but... Uh, you talk about somebody riding a white horse, I know, and everybody that's just true. loves him. Oh. That's true, yeah. Uh, you go these other somebody. guys, I know. Uh, like Erdogan, yeah. people are a little intimidated oh, by they him. Are. They are. He, yeah. He's got the fourth largest army in the world. Yeah, I know. And, and, uh, and Zelensky is interesting because it's so hilarious to me that the Nazis are alive and well in the Ukraine, and the people are just... Absolutely, there's so many people on social media absolutely in support of Ukraine and Zelensky, and it's like, well, what about the Nazis? Yeah. What about the Nazis? Well, they claim it's a small faction of the. Right, right. They'll downplay it, well, sure. Yeah. sure. Because they're okay, because they're they're fighting Russia. So in this sense, they're okay. They're but okay. If, but if you're a nationalist in the United States, you're a Nazi, and that's terrible. Yeah. I don't know. I just I find him curiously interesting. Oh yeah, I do too. I mean, uh, he is he is curiously interesting. I, yeah. I well, everybody's just oh, they're Gaga, and he's a good-looking guy, and he's young well, guy. Well, he was an actor, right? He's an actor. Yeah, he started friend. off as an actor comedian. Yeah, he uh, he's he's interesting, and he speaks uh, multiple languages. Yeah, yeah, which you would think that the Antichrist would be able to do. I'm sure. But what's interesting about him? He started off as an actor-comedian, and in one of his skits, I think it was a television program, he played the president of Ukraine in this skit. Mm -hmm. And then he also, in that skit or show, created this party, political party, in Ukraine. Well, all of a sudden, that has become reality. The party now exists, and he's now president. So it's like, well, who was behind this guy? See, I always look for people who are behind. So to me, it's like I know Klaus Schwab has mm -hmm. his fingers in the mix. So it's just really interesting. But when this guy, whoever it happens to be, comes along, um, he'll either be one of these people that we're kind of seeing now, depending on when this happens, or he'll be somebody else completely, and then everybody else will pale in comparison. But but this guy will literally ride on the scene on a white horse, pretending to be pure and righteous, and uh, he will be anything but, and he will be extremely political and deceptive and get his way through that. So, you know, the fact that he carries a bow symbolizes the threat of war, and what's interesting is, when we get to the second seal, um, all of a sudden, gee, it's war. And that was, that's, that's made possible through the political maneuvering. So he rides out conquering and to conquer. And as I say, he likely does this through quote-unquote peaceful yeah. and political And maybe means. that's the white. is like, oh, it's yes. peaceful, it's yes. serene. And, and no arrows, yeah. no ammo. So he's, he's going he's gonna to be an exceedingly, exceedingly intelligent man. I mean, don't forget... Whether he starts out like this or not, as we get into Revelation, um, the word tells us that he literally, literally becomes um, totally indwelt with Satan's authority and power. 
I mean, Satan is so into this guy and giving him what he wants and needs to become the world ruler that he will literally share his throne with him. So he's going to start out as some human being, and by the time Satan's done with him, he will literally be his spiritual son. So we'll yeah, see. I, I can't help but wonder about this Elon Musk. That's who I I just mentioned that the other night. No, I I thought so too. You know, he's kind of unknown. Yeah. And right now he's challenging all the big wheels, so everybody's for him. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and you know what's interesting about he's an interesting player. Oh, it is. And what's interesting is I think he's had seven or eight kids from different women, and the woman he's with right, right now is, from what I've been reading, she's a Satanist. Yeah. And that She's kind a witch of stuff. Or something. Yeah, yeah. And what's fascinating about Musk, Musk. Yes. Yeah. And what's fascinating about Musk is he is not easily intimidated he is not by anybody. Yeah. He's not. I mean, you know, so AOC in, right. in yeah. Congress, <laughs> she uh in he's the obviously brilliant because he's, oh, he's, he's, like he's got his hands in so many this, different he's yeah. just so yeah. unknown. He does. And, and folks are really but getting behind like him because yeah. he's punching the buttons on the big wheel. He is. Yeah. And for this guy to come out and say, I'm buying Twitter just to give back free speech. Yeah. yeah. And uh, if he succeeds, uh-huh. if he succeeds, that'll be fascinating. But it, you know, the reality is he's still into transhumanism. He still wants to put chips in people's brains. Well, that would be the uh, Antichrist. Right. And, and it's like, well, you know, who knows? But, uh, there's something about Musk that is extremely likable when you listen to him talk. Yeah, right. He's not arrogant. He's he's matter of fact about what he knows, and yes. he obviously and he knows. Pardon me. Fairly, fairly approachable. And yes. Yes. Humble. Yes. And just yes. That's why he is so convincing. Yes. Because yes. he is all of those. Well, things. we'll see what happens, but uh, you know, I probably would put more. Uh, faith in the possibility that someone like he is going to be this guy than someone that you look at. Well, he's African, South African, <coughs> specifically. Yeah, he's well, actually he's not an American. I don't think anybody in America is going to really be a player. No, I don't no, no, no. I think no. America is going to be out of the loop. Yeah, yeah, we're not that far from it. I mean, you probably read by May 22nd, apparently all countries, including the USA, are giving our sovereignty to the WHO mm-hmm. so that they will direct... Uh, what happens in the next pandemic, and I'm thinking to myself, I cannot imagine the average Southerner going along with it. No. Yeah. I just can't, but we'll see what happens. Well, anyway, he, whoever it is does this through peaceful and political means. I think the Antichrist, it's certainly at least initially, is going to be very welcoming, going to be very open to people. Gonna, there's going to be something about him that lowers people's resistance naturally and yeah so I think that's you know people like Klaus Schwab no, no. Uh-huh. I can't no. see him at all George Soros like no. no Macron some people think he is but I don't I think don't so think he holds a candle to what's that I don't think Macron holds a candle to uh, Elon Musk no. in, in approachability and right. trustworthiness and, and look at how this guy's got things. billions he needs nobody. He doesn't. Need he needs nobody. I love when he, he'll be on Twitter and he'll tweet out something. 
He goes, I'm going to buy AOC next and fix her teeth. <laughs> I mean, he is just that hilarious. He is. Or he goes, I'm going to buy Facebook next time and do this. Or I'm going to do, you know. And he just does this to trigger people. Uh-huh. Isn't he the richest man in the world? Billions and billions. And he's only like 50-something years old. I mean. Right. And, yeah. and, and AOC was just trashing him on Twitter. And he says, would you quit hitting on me? Right, right. He goes, look, I know you love me. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> Anyway, so whoever is going to be, it's going to be someone that's approachable, that's going to, people will let their guard down, and then they'll just warm up to this guy immediately. So there are numerous views as to who this person is, but again, the rider on the white horse is probably, I'm going to say, most likely the Antichrist, who will gain eventually the position of being able to rule this world and as the ruler of the final Gentile kingdom, will do everything he can with Satan empowering him and working through him to amass a world full of military people. Because his goal, as stupid as this sounds, will be to keep Jesus from returning to this earth. That's it. That will be. That's Satan's whole goal. And that's what he's going to do through the Antichrist. And Antichrist, he may not know it at the beginning, but he will come to realize that's the goal. So he will have to work to get everybody on there on the earth and all the armies of the earth yeah. working for him to keep... It sounds stupid. Jesus from returning to this earth. But, hey, you know, um, it's not the only lie Satan well, has to He has to send out spirits to coerce yeah. Of yeah. mankind. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So his power sort of wanes there at the end. It does. It does. He has to I think people start to realize. Yeah, to, people uh, start to see what's going on. But by then it's going to be too late. Too late. All right. So then the lamb, the first seal is the white, the white horse and the right. Antichrist. And he conquers politically and he starts building his kingdom. The lamb opens the second seal. And uh, again, the lamb is directing the traffic here. Yeah. He is directing all of this. It happens when he says it happens. And it happens when he specifically opens a seal. And then the second living creature says, come and see. And of course he's talking to John. And John notices a fiery red horse that rides onto the scene. And the job of this fiery red horse and its rider is to take peace from the earth. So now the... Oh, and by the way, I've read a number of commentators... Who conservative, who believe that the rider on each horse is a different representation of the Antichrist. He ultimately oh, comes as okay. the white rider, and now we're shifting to a different phase here, where all of a sudden, this Antichrist is now riding a red horse. It's certainly a possibility, because we, again, we don't know exactly what John saw, what it looked like to him. He's describing it for us. I'm sure he saw in visions, and God made it as plain as he could to John. Uh, so the red color symbolizes bloodshed and war. And by the way, what's interesting is these are similar to the horses um, from Zechariah. They're not the same, but they're similar. So they kind of look back to those horses and there's, there's an expansion of that idea here. So this isn't the first time where God had used visions of horses mm-hmm. to give an idea, of, uh, to yeah. share information. 
talking about taking peace from the entire earth. He's talking about a world war. Yes, yeah. it's, it's a, absolutely world war. And, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what's going to happen with World War Three. But to me, I don't know, man. It just seems like they're, they're going to keep... I don't know that it's ever going to break into actual war. I know there have been skirmishes. Uh, as a matter of fact, I read... I was listening to one video today um, of... They were interviewing people from the Ukraine who had gotten out. And it was all, it was dubbed in English, it was uh, closed captioned with English titles, subtitles, because the, the people were speaking uh, Ukrainian. <clears throat> but they said, they were asked, well, how'd you get out? And they said, well, the Russians helped us get out. And, and the, the reporter said, well, weren't, what about the Ukrainian military? Weren't they helping you? And he said, the Ukrainian military was trying to shoot us. Wow. So we, you know, we hear, now I don't know if that's, if what he's stating was true, but they look like people who had barely gotten out. It was a young husband, a young wife, their children. Is that a Mariupol? Yes, yes. So, you know, we don't really know what's going on, and of course when the news covers it, uh, the MSM, they cover it with their bias and what they want to let us know. So right now... Uh, Zelensky, Ukraine, they're the underdogs, and Big Bad Russia is, you know, doing everything wrong, but other things I'm hearing... Yeah, but you shared that one picture where, you know, all the cars were turned oh, yeah. and, you know, <coughs> no, like all the... Sh yeah, yeah, yeah no glass blown out yeah, anywhere, no. so it's Place all fake. I love the yeah. caption Place. that the guy put on there. I want those windows. <laughs> I want to get those super strong windows from yeah. Ukraine because here are these cars laying upside down. The building has no smoke or bomb damage on it whatsoever. Nor are the windows broken. None. The windows aren't even cracked. There's no dirt on them, but here's all these explosions that were big enough to lift these cars and knock them over. It's like, uh, something isn't right. Yeah, I, I, I just don't trust American media first oh, off oh, I, at all. No, no more than I do the no. American uh, medical association right. or right. anything to do right. with them. Yeah. Certainly not our political. Well, and I saw another video where apparently there were all these dead bodies from Ukraine laying in the street. Mm -hmm. You probably know where I'm going on this one. So the camera's slowly panning all these dead bodies. And then there's a body here and a body back there where the, the people started moving. And okay. there, one guy scratching his head. And, and you're like, hmm, okay. And the camera just kept panning slowly. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, and I know that they've done this between the Jews and the Arabs on, in Palestine and the Temple Mount. They, it's, all, it's all propaganda, so it's really mm -hmm. hard to yes, know. Yes, it's propaganda. But one thing we can know, of course, Absolutely. is God's word is true, and what he states in here unequivocally will come to pass. So the red symbolizes bloodshed and war. There's all this talk of World War III right now, but... Um, by the way, is that recording, Sylvia? Yes, it is. Okay. Um, but... Whether or not it actually gets into full-scale war is another thing, but there will be a time inside the tribulation where there will be war. There will be absolute war. And when, as I was going through this today, I thought to myself, you know, it's interesting because if someone came from, let's say, outer space, having never been to Earth, and they came to Earth and they happened to read chapter 6 of the book of Revelation, they would probably look around and go, huh, looks like it's happening right now because there's so much that mm -hmm. as we go through this I'm sure you'll see it you know war what comes after war what famine. always comes after war famine the next thing famine pestilence disease death major death so it, it's interesting 
Um, and, and like, well, we'll get to it. I'm getting ahead of myself. So when this writer arrives on the scene, peace is gone, replaced with war. Who allows that? God. God gives that writer the power to take peace. It says here, uh, it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth and that people should kill one another. And there was given to him a great sword. So who gave him the power? God did. God gave him the power to do what he will be able to do. <clears throat> and this is going back to the assertion that the writer is Satan. Mm -hmm. You know, God has negotiated with Satan on numerous occasions. Oh, yeah. Yes. Oh, and yeah. given, granted. Oh yeah. Uh, I love Job. First chapter of Job is yeah. exactly what you're talking yeah. about. Yeah. Exactly what you're talking yeah. about. Have you, you know, considered your servant Job? Uh huh. And when when he says, "Oh, that's because you've got this hedge built around him," which is really revealing, because God never denies that He had a hedge built around Him. Yeah. He basically, through His silence, acknowledges that yes, I did. Which also tells me He has a hedge built around each believer. Yeah. Otherwise, Satan would destroy us in an instant. So then, just like you're saying, uh, Sam. So then. Uh, God says, okay, you can do this, and you can do this to him, but you can't do that. That's as far as you can go. I mean, it's just amazing. And Satan complies. Yeah. He knows he has to. He knows he, he has, has to. He what has else to. does he have? Yeah. So anyway, if you go back, we don't have time to do it, but you might want to read Matthew 24, the Olivet Discourse, because there are parallels in what Jesus taught there. Um, peace is likely removed. So this peace that we're talking about is going to happen toward the middle of the tribulation, and here are the verses. And uh, I'll get this up tomorrow with these notes, so you'll have them. But peace is likely removed. There's going to be a, a point in time, in the future, where this world... You know, we think it's... I was kind of saddened today because I thought... We went to the craft show, and I thought, man, this is just so nice. All these, all these people, I didn't see one person wearing a mask. Everybody was... It was just... They were being as normal as they could. It, it reminded me of three years ago when you could go to the craft show and, and you know, we brought our dog and other people had their dogs. The food was great. Conversation was great with people we didn't even know. It was just so, so nice. And there's going to be a time when there will be no peace on the earth. Nothing. Mm -hmm. Nothing. And, and you sit there and I told my wife on the way home, I said, you know, it's... As enjoyable as this was today, it's like we've got our kids and their kids who are growing up now, and our son just turned 31, and they have their little baby Emma who is one, they want to have maybe two more, and then we have our daughter Rachel and her husband Ryan and their two boys, and it's like what are these children what world are they growing yeah, up in? What future do they? Yeah, I mean, it to me it is the saddest thing. But then I'm reminded, it's like, well, if, if this brings believers staunchly to that point of realizing that we're not to love the world or anything in this world, and that our life is beyond, I met this, we met this woman, I'm going to write about her, I took pictures of her tattoo, but we met this woman named Heather, she's working at one of the booths, and I saw her tattoos and I said, okay, those tattoos I can tell have a story. You know, because some people just get tattoos because they look good. But I said, Th those tattoos have a story. you got to tell me about them. And I didn't know her from Adam. And she goes, well, 
And in the middle of the tattoo was this black tree. And she goes, well, when I got this tattoo, <coughs> she goes, I was really just a dead person. I was involved in alcohol. I, I did a lot of drugs. I was dead. And then I later filled it in with color. And it's beautiful color. And it's got birds and stuff. And she goes, after I met the Lord, my life was filled with color. And I haven't, she goes, I got off drugs. I haven't been drinking. And then she turns it over, and there's this male lion, a female lion, and a lion cub. She goes, then I met a wonderful husband, and together we had a beautiful child. And I was just sitting there thinking, wow. That, I mean, that's some story. That's what it is about. It is about, as this world goes to its death, and the world is passing away, as Peter said, God is still saving people out of it. And mm -hmm. she had such a sweet disposition. Yeah. Yeah. I told her, I said, you know, that is so encouraging. I said, because my wife's <coughs> brother and his wife, he's an alcoholic. He's, a, he's into drugs. And, and I said, you know, we've all been praying for them. She goes, I will pray for them. So I told them her name, Eric and Jackie. She goes, I'll pray for them. And then we saw her again today. And she goes, I prayed for them last night. She goes, my sister isn't saved either, but they're going to get there. And, you know, so I was just, I was so grateful because I thought, you know, it's not just being peaceful in this life. It's not just having good times in this life. It's, the reality is watching others come to the Lord because this yeah. world is passing away. Yeah. It really is. So when peace is likely removed, at some point during the tribulation, people aren't going to know peace. I mean, there will be no peace on this earth. <clears throat> And Jesus, this is interesting too, because he does this in the Olivet Discourse. He refers to the tribulation, and then he refers to the great tribulation. Mm -hmm. And the great tribulation happens at the midpoint forward when he says, and there will be great tribulation such as never been on this earth, nor will ever be again. <clears throat> so, and, and of course he's referring to this point where the Antichrist waltzes into the rebuilt temple that Paul talks about in 2 Thessalonians 2. So it's just fascinating the way it all kind of comes together. <clears throat> Excuse me. And this writer in verse 4 is given, he is given a great sword, which means he has literally been given a license to kill. God basically says, here you go. And we know he did that many times. He's done that with Pharaoh. He did that, you know, the angel of the Lord, the angel of death. He came through and he, oh, it's just fascinating stuff. Yeah, he used the Babylonian Empire. To yes, yeah, exactly. Yes. And there were times where, um, my mind is a blank right now. Sylvia, you'll remember, um, <clears throat> when the one king was praying, they were, another empire was going to come in against Jerusalem. Was it Hezekiah? And uh, God answered Hezekiah's prayer, I think it was. And in the morning, there was about, I don't know, 100,000 of their soldiers 185,000, I think. How many? 185? Yeah. I yeah. So. I forget who that was. I'm sorry. I but think it was Hezekiah. <clears throat> yeah. So there, Hezekiah did nothing. None of the Jewish fighters did anything. God did it. Yeah. So they wake, can you imagine waking up the next morning and seeing almost 200,000 of your soldiers that's going to happen dead. again. Yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. It's going to happen again. Yes, I mean, it will. Uh, um, is it Ezekiel 38? 
39. Yeah, and it happens also in one of these seals. It's fascinating. And by the way, when we get there, some people believe that, well, we'll oh wait, I don't want to get ahead of myself. So this could include, there we go, the Gog-Magog War of Ezekiel 38-39. As I mentioned, I mentioned this the very first time, no one really knows when this happens. I tend to think it's going to happen before the tribulation starts. I could be completely wrong. There are more intelligent people than I am who think that this is going to happen during the tribulation at some point, but isn't Armageddon? Other commentators believe Ezekiel 38-39 is Armageddon. So it's really difficult to know, but just like you said, Sam, it will happen when all these people will just be dying. What's your thoughts on the sequencing of the the riders and, and the, what are they, seals and mm-hmm. trumpets and bowls? Uh, you think they're sequential or are they, they parallel one another? I've always seen them as chronological, this happens, then this happens, then this happens, then this happens. But you can't be sure of the time frame. No, you can't. One may not even be over before another one starts. That's part of the problem. Some of these things could happen simultaneously. There are theories that they happen in parallel because similar things are described. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, if you look at the last last thing here, The sixth seal, great Mm -hmm. earthquake. Oh yeah! Sun becomes black as sackcloth. Moon becomes. That's described elsewhere. I know in scripture. That's also part of yes. And that is late trib. uh, Yeah, I know. I know. So and and honestly, I really think I I think I've implied this before. If not, let me state it clearly this time. Honestly, I really think God gave us a basic outline. But the more information he gives us, the more information he gives Satan. So yeah. we don't really need to know yeah. as much as we would like to know. We would like to be privileged to know everything. But I've, it's funny. I mean, I've been a Christian since I was 13. I've been studying the Bible for years. Uh, at one point, I was staunch this, staunch that, staunch that, no, immovable. And now I'm kind of like, I... I still think I adhere to that position, but it could be that one. That one mm-hmm. makes a little bit of sense, too. I mean, I am a staunch pre-tribulation rapture person, but um, I could be totally wrong, and I've said that I don't know how many times. Mm-hmm. But um, the thing that I do now when I present the pre-trib position, I think I've done that in here, is uh, I, I ensure that I let people know that, you know what, don't count on it. Yeah. Don't count on it. Prepare mm-hmm. as if it's not going to happen. And if it does happen, wonderful. Terrific. But don't not do anything in preparation because, oh, God's going to save me. Well, we have no guarantee. I mean, yeah. we, we just might don't. be the one that suffers throughout right. the whole time. Right, right, right. So, anyway, I, I, I agree, Sam. I mean, there's some, when you look at it certain ways, there could be things that parallel each other. There no, could be things true. that are specifically that. chronological or sequential. Mm-hmm. I just, I wish I was smart enough to know. And I'm not. I'm, I'm really not. No, no. So, and you know what? When you look at all of that discourse, Jesus could have broken all this stuff down. 
to the jot and tittle. Oh, but yeah. He, but he did not. Yeah. He gave overviews, and he gave strong clues. He goes, when you see this happening, yeah. run to the hills. Right. Don't be taken in when you see someone who, or hear someone saying, I'm the Christ. Don't be taken in. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that he warned people about. <clears throat> I was watching a couple of videos today, short ones, and it just is absolutely appalling how blasphemous yeah. some of the mainline denominations have become. I was watching oh, one where Presbyterian, um, a woman was leading the uh, prayer and she gave a little speech beforehand and she was celebrating Trans Day. And God is a God of pronouns. pronouns. And the great, she, she changed it. She said, he's not the great I am. He's, she's, he is, God is the great, great as I am able to be or something like that. Thought, it well, was just so blasphemous. It's so it blasphemous. Just... You know, I mean, it's just absolutely appalling to me. But yet, both Paul and Peter and John and Jesus, all of them, have warned what the end times are going to be like. So it shouldn't shock us, but it does shock us. Oh, it so it's even going to be worse when we get to here. This could include the Gog Magog War of Ezekiel 38. <clears throat> and then once the Jews realize who the Antichrist really is, remember, he's been courting them up to this time. And probably siding with them. Why? Because he wants that temple rebuilt. Why? So he can go in and desecrate it like um, Antioch's Epiphanes did, his predecessor, a type of Antichrist in 168 BC. Uh, so that's why he's going he's gonna to pretend to love the Jews, side with them, and get that temple built. And as soon as it's built, he can do what he needs to do. And that's when, when he does that, <clears throat> right here, Jews will then obviously realize who he is. And they will run. And then the Antichrist goes on a rampage. Well, they don't all run. He no. ends up killing millions of them. He does. Yeah. He does. But he also turns... Um, he can't get to the remnant because the remnant is squirreled away. So he turns it to the rest of the believers, which will obviously also be Christians living at that right. time, believers. Right. So. It's interesting. <clears throat> All right, now we got the third seal. Again, the Lamb opens the third seal. The Lamb is the, uh, the maestro, the director of this whole pageantry, if you will. The third creature, living creature, says, Come and see. And then John sees a. Do we know what those creatures are. Are they angels? You know, the four. Constable believes they are, yeah. They, the, they, you know, they're four. No, these aren't the, um, these aren't the, uh... Like the four corners? No. Uh, you know, there are four, like, super angels around God's throne. Right. The seraphim yeah, type? Yeah, about. well, six-winged, and, I mean, they're brilliantly... I think, yeah, I think these or, might be different, but they seem to be angelic. Yeah. They're not human. Well, they're fallen angels, really, aren't they? No, not, not these. Not these. Not these. Not these. Okay. No, not these. These are around, these, these are around the, the throne. Oh, okay, yeah. And they're constantly, you know, they will take off their... They're kind of similar in some ways to the 24 elders, but these are the living creatures. Yeah. So, yeah, these are... And well, it's amazing. I'm referring to the, the living creatures, not the ones around the throne, but these. These living creatures are, quote-unquote, the good guys. Okay. Yeah. yeah so a black, a black horse rides on the scene... 
And the black color, obviously, in this case, symbolizes, because it explains it to us, it symbolizes scarcity of food. Now, we are coming into a, a time in our own day and age where there's, we're going to experience it. Yeah. I mean, absolutely, without doubt, we're, we're, we're going to experience it. Yeah. We, yeah, we, we are talking we, about. I think it's worldwide. Yeah. Oh yeah, oh it's yeah. It's going to be worldwide. And and no one is mentioning it. No one, and I should say, no no one in leadership is mentioning it. Um, but this is happening now. So you think, well, we're not in the tribulation right now. So if this is happening now, how bad is it going to be when it gets there? Well, it's going to be bad because it follows war. And we know from history, whenever there's been a war, there's been massive death, Massive food shortage, massive disease and pestilence. It always follows. Always follows. I mean, you can't have people killed by the hundreds or thousands laying open in the field and not have disease, pestilence, and all that kind of stuff. And of course, don't forget, when, when people are out fighting war as military people, they're not home working on the farms as they may have done years ago. So that's, we have the same problem now because um, Ukraine... They're not spending uh, the fuel, not using the fuel for the tractors. They're using it for the military equipment, the planes and the tanks and blah, blah, blah. So fields aren't getting planted. We're going to experience it. Well, it's happening here, too. They're not planting crops no. like they normally do. Well, interestingly enough, the Chinese are buying up great swaths of American farmland. Yeah. And so is Bill Gates. Yeah, he's got the most far so just under 300,000. They want to just let those fields go fallow. I guess that's their right and choice. It's crazy. It's crazy. And of course, God could intervene and he could. erupt Yellowstone and destroy the American heartland. He could. He could. You know, and, and I sit there and I realize, especially with this Roe v. Wade thing possibly being overturned and all the stupidity and protesting that's happening, it's like, how, how can this country continue to avoid judgment? How can, how can it, how, you know, people say, well, if we can get this person in office and just pray and then let's all repent. It's like, well, first of all, the people who need to repent are the people who are in leadership positions and they are showing no sign of repentance. Yeah, I, so, absolutely. you know, this, this country is hurtling toward judgment. And, I'm convinced the entire Democratic Party is under demonic influence. Oh, and, and the Republicans are about as Roger V. Wade protest. I mean, it's it's I know absolutely disgusting. It is any excuse for violence. They're just today's brown shirts and black shirts from Hitler's regime and Mussolini's regime. Well, we've got a huge scarcity of food coming, and what's fascinating about this, um, as I said, it often happens following large wars or world wars. It happened all the time. Ryder carries a scale, which I think symbolizes commerce. And this particular rider will be able to control the commodity prices and the scarcity of things. And, and really, we're looking, this is, we're seeing a, a, some semblance of this right now with leaders deliberately, deliberately making decisions that are creating a scarcity of food. They're deliberately doing that. You can't sit there and say, gee, maybe it's accidental. No, they're deliberately doing it. People like Klaus Schwab and Bill Gates, they've got their compounds and they've got uh, as much organic food and organic beef and poultry as they need for the next, I don't know, 10 years probably. They probably have them in a cryogenic frozen state so that they won't go bad. They're not going to go hungry. The average person 
and the poor person will go hungry. So when it gets to this part of the tribulation, what is even fascinating about this, this food shortage and scarcity will be so bad that ultimately it is even going to affect the rich people during the tribulation. And you hear this voice, and the text doesn't tell us who this voice is. It says in verse 6, And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. What is fascinating here is, um, I believe it's probably the Lamb's voice, his authority, that declares this, because he's declaring this. This is what it will be, and you can't do this. Here's his limitation, he, he said, and, and so it won't be done, and it'll be done according to his word. He directs the action again. Wheat has always represented good food. As far back as every ancient civilization you can think of, it always represented good food. And if you think about food today, most good things are made with wheat. Yeah. Most good, I was raised uh, in an Italian home, and we had Italian food all the time. And it didn't matter if it was pizza, spaghetti, brijol, whatever. It always had pasta, wheat, bread, always there. So it represents good food. Barley is interesting because it represents what you would often feed cattle, cheap cattle food. But it's also interesting because barley... Uh, and hops are often used in alcoholic drinks like beer. But it says here, protect the oil and the wine, do no harm. And who then would be able to afford oil and wine? Well, at that point in the tribulation, only the rich, but even they will be paying a premium for it. So both will be seriously affected through inflationary pricing. And, of course, we're seeing that right now. What was interesting is a quart of wheat um, during the tribulation would provide one day's ration of food, but it would also cost one day's wages. A denarius was a day's wages in Christ's day. So what he's saying here, yeah, it's going to cost you whatever you make in one day to be able to buy good food. One day. So you think about how much money... <clears throat> you make during the month or the week. Divide it by seven. That's how much you make per day for a week. That's what it would cost you to buy good food during the tribulation. Yeah, a lot of people are going to be unemployed. Yeah, they're well, not going to be making any way Which is one of the well, reasons peace is going to be gone because they're going to be violently taking whatever they can get. Yeah. So, and interestingly, during John's day, wheat, barley, and oil, and wine were the staple foods. You didn't drink the water. No. You didn't drink the water. No. Uh, remember when Paul told Timothy, have a little bit of wine for your stomach. Because all he was drinking was water. And the water was not necessarily good water. <clears throat> so, you know where it came from. You know, the Sumerian water, Christ met the woman at the well right, and she right. was drawing water. Right, right. Yeah. So, yeah, some of it was okay to drink. A lot of it wasn't. And you can imagine... Well, interestingly, they said Jacob dug yeah, that Jacob well. well. That's right. That's true. That's that right. Jacob's and they well. say that the, the uh, Jacobian, that's a word, wells were deeper and 
they probably were. Pure. Yeah. For some reason. Well, the further you go, we know. Like, for instance, we have a board well in our house. It goes 30 to 40 feet down. Yeah. And um, uh, when we first moved into our house, we found it had a lot of bacteria in it. Yeah, so we, they filter in that water. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, we we did. We we paid. <laughs> That's we paid fifteen hundred bucks. Yes, we paid fifteen hundred bucks to have a UV filtration system put in, and we're so glad we did because our water is absolutely beautiful to drink right now. Nothing in it. Absolutely nothing. But um, the deep wells, three to five hundred feet, they're the they can be really good. Yeah. So I don't know how deep Jacob's well was, but it, yeah. it was probably deeper than 30 to 40 feet. Well, anyway, so we'll move along. Food will be strictly controlled by the Antichrist. And I can, I can believe it. Remember, at some point when we get to Revelation 13, the false prophet's going to say, hey, you know what? You can't buy or sell without this mark. Well, so, it's already set up there in that you can have all this uh, hybrid stuff that won't reproduce. That won't what? Well, it does not reproduce. Right. Oh, right, right, exactly. So it's already set up that. genetically modified yes. yeah. organism. Right. So Monsanto right. says you got to buy seeds from us every year. That's right. Yeah. That's exactly. It. Well, and then the killing of the chickens because of avian oh, yeah, flu, the and now flu. there's swine flu, and so they're gonna. And then you can't eat beef because it's, you know. I'm breeds. sure there's gonna be a mad cow disease coming along. Yeah, soon. something will yeah. come along, so that they're gonna have to kill all of it. No, I'm not getting rid of any of my chickens. If they yeah. die naturally, that's okay. No, not my chickens. Food will be strictly controlled by the Antichrist. The poor, of course, will suffer the most. They will suffer the most. Well, and those that are used to the handout. Yeah. yeah, well, that's well, that's the poor. Yeah. Well, that's, but that's a lot of that's choice, matter. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So the Lamb opens the fourth seal. The fourth living creature says, "Come and see." A pale horse rides onto the scene. I did some digging into this, and you know, we think of pale as ash and gray. Okay. And yeah, that's death, kind of like a death pall. But what's interesting here is the pale ashen is literally pale green color. Yeah. And what's fascinating is it symbolizes death, and if you've ever seen pictures of a human corpse that has died but hasn't been embalmed yet and they've been dead for a while, they literally look ashen but greenish. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know? And Most all animals get that greenish hue. What is know? it? Most all animals yes. when they die will get that greenish hue. Yes, so it's really interesting. So this pale horse is more like a pale green, an ashen pale green. And he rides onto the scene and of course, the, I think that the Antichrist is probably this writer as well. Maybe not, I don't know. But literally, the Antichrist, his name ultimately means death. And so death claims, this is fascinating, because death claims the material part of the person, our bodies. Hades claims the spiritual part of the unbelieving person. So death is going to be able to go through the land and basically says, the name of him who sat on the horse was death, and Hades followed with him. So together they make this duo where they cover all phases of death, the material part and the spiritual part. And the power was given to them over one-fourth of the earth. So God literally says to death, you can take a fourth of the earth. One-fourth. Now we've got almost eight billion people. Eight billion people on this earth right now. So if you look at that and take a fourth of eight billion people, it's one and a half billion people that will be removed from this earth, from the first seal up to this seal. That's a lot of people. 
a lot of people. Well, there's all kinds of killing. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Wars, That's right. Famine. Sword, famine, hunger, pestilence, death, beasts of the earth. Yeah. Yeah. What's that? Uh, you got that? What? The beast of the earth. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. They're going to be hungry too if you stop to think about it. Yeah. They're going to be hungry because the food shortages will affect them too. They'll be looking for anything. So then we get to the fifth seal, which the Lamb opens, and we instantly see martyrs in heaven. Instantly. Instantly. When I opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held, and they cried. This is a very interesting question here. How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Now, as Christians... We're supposed to, right, turn the other cheek. We're not supposed to not forgive people. We're supposed to not harbor vengeance. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. But here you have these individuals who have been killed during the tribulation for the testimony and their faith in the Lord. And they want to know, Lord, when will our blood be avenged? You are holy, righteous, and true, the only judge. When will you avenge our blood? And then, interestingly enough, in verse 11, that a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said, you need to wait a little bit longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren, who would be killed as they were, was completed. So, we look at these people. These are true believers who were killed for their faith, and we know that this is going to happen during the tribulation. Um, Satan is going to be basically allowed to do whatever he wants with limitation, but... He is going to kill as many believers as he can. And there will be those who will willingly die for their Lord rather than deny him. These believers died during the period of the tribulation John had just described. So the previous seals, these people died and here they are. Their fidelity and faithfulness to the word of God results in their death. And it's getting to that point where you feel like, you know what, if people know you're a Christian and you run across some of the violent leftists, they just assume beat you because they figure, well, you're not going to respond in kind because you're a Christian. You're supposed to turn the other cheek, right? So if the pre-trib rapture is the correct view, then this is referring to people who became believers after that who were left on the earth, who were not believers then. It's a big if. Oh, it is a big if. Absolutely. Huge if. It is a big if. But, um, and, and I'm just pointing out that yeah, if... I understand. Yeah, so... I'm not a pre-trevor. No, I know. That's okay, though. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's all right. It's all right. We can agree to disagree. Yeah, I have no problem. I mean... Hey, look, if I'm wrong, I'm all for it. Exactly, <laughs> right? You're going you're gonna to win. Yeah. <laughs> that's a win-win for me, baby. But, but like I've said, and like what Sylvia and I do, we're pre-tribbers, but we act and live as if we're not. I mean, really, in the back of my mind, my theology says, well, it makes more sense to me to be a pre-tribber, but practically speaking, I'm not just going to sit around and twiddle my thumbs. Well, that book that I gave you yeah. says the military, there's a 1% chance of something happening you need to prepare for. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So exactly. is there a chance that the church will have to go through part of the tribulation? There is a chance. So why should we have not, not a likelihood? Right. Okay. At least the early part. Right. Yeah. So why should we sit around and do nothing as if 
Hey, I'm going to be taken out of here. Eat, drink, and be merry. Uh -uh. Well, and that's why Mark has to teach about persecution because exactly. Yeah. Well, there's some theories that each one of these sales is like a year long. Oh, right, right. And, and I have no idea. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, it's just people spitballing. It is. Yeah. It is. And, it but, is. But if you look at what's going on here, I mean, this is kind of late trip. Yep. Stuff. I mean, there's a yeah. bunch of martyrs piled up somewhere. Yeah. Uh, I know. And you know, well, and, uh, and, and the it Antichrist is it firmly in control, right? And, by it, now. and it and it's not going to be if there is global war. That's not going to be over in five days. It's going to take a while. And then you've got the results of that global war, yeah. which is disease, pestilence, scarcity of food. It, it's going to draw up for a while. And don't forget, the entirety of the tribulation is seven years. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, let's keep going here. I want to get, see if I can get through these slides. I don't think oh, I can yeah. see anymore. You're almost there. The resurrection of these saints does not occur, by the way. So it's interesting because these are their spirit, their spirits, right, and the altar. They don't have their final bodies yet because the resurrection of these saints does not occur until the end of the seven-year tribulation, which you can read about in chapter 24. But what I think is interesting here is that um, they, whoops, they are given a white robe which tells you that they have some sort of body. They're not these ethereal spirits floating around. They have some form of temporary body in order to be able to wear this robe. So their final glorified body doesn't come until then. So they ask, how long? And I think the question, actually, it's, it's a good indication that God's long suffering has ended. And those who live on the earth, where they said, when will you take out you know, vengeance against those on the earth? Well, obviously, it's referring to the unbelievers who put them in that position. Yeah. And, you know, we've got a lot of that. You know, sometimes I sit there and I tell Sylvia, I said, I know, I know this does not sound like a Christian thought, but I would love it if God would either save that person or take them out of here because all they're doing is creating trouble. You know, and, and I said, I know, I know, it's, not the best thought. I know I should be praying for them all the time. But. So God does not rebuke the martyrs for wanting justice here. He comforts them in verse 11. And he says, you're going to have to wait a little while longer. And so the robe he gives them, obviously, I think, um, symbolizes salvation and immortality. And as I mentioned, they'll get, they'll get their permanent bodies later, which won't need to be robed because they will be already clothed with the new body. And more believers would be martyred before it was time for Jesus to physically return to earth. And that's really what they're asking. Yeah. Lord, when are you going to go down and take care of these unbelievers? When are you going to deal with that? And he goes, a little while longer, more martyrs have to be made, and then I'll be able to return. So he's going to return to judge the nations, establish his 1,000-year millennial kingdom. And then all of a sudden the scene shifts from heaven back to earth, with the sixth seal, cosmic disturbances, and we'll we'll go through this one kind of quickly, but we'll um, we'll end with this one. So there's no living creature voice in this one after the Lamb opens the sixth seal, and then a massive massive earthquake occurs throughout the earth, and you can read about that also in Luke 21:11. The darkening of the sun, which has happened numerous times, or is referred to <clears throat> in numerous. Uh, places in Scripture, both Old and New Testament. The reddening of the moon. 
the falling of the stars could be a meteor-like shower. We don't know. And these appear to be, con to be consequences of the sixth seal judgment. Now, what's interesting here is... It could also be an asteroid strike. It could be. It yeah. could be. Now, some people explain these away that it's, it's, it's one thing or it's another, but I think it's probably best to take them literally. That's just me. I...